episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sani. And I'm your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us on what we'll be doing here on the podcast this week. Um, we finally made it to Middleburg Film Festival. It was a virtual festival this year, not in person like last year. Um, I was missing it, Sam. I was missing it so much. That experience last year was so much fun. I miss um, Taylor Russell. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> it was the first time that we both got to attend the festival last year and it was just like uh, it was just fun to sit down and watch like 10 movies in one weekend all these netflix originals like two popes and the irishman that we had yeah waves was there it was kind of a stacked year last year and it was so much fun um but but i think the virtual festival went pretty well i had a lot of fun with the stuff that i saw we'll talk about that a little bit later but um we're gonna have a short sort of news segment here at the top um we're gonna open off with like one sort of big overarching news story, and that is that Leonardo DiCaprio, Timothy Chalamet, Jonah Hill, Meryl Streep, Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, Himesh Patel are all joining Adam McKay's Don't Look Up movie, which is coming to Netflix. Um, that rounds out the ensemble cast. It already included Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, and Rob Morgan. Um, we've talked about this film a few times, you know, with your original announcement and the casting that has come out over the past couple months. Um, but for people that don't remember, the film is basically going to follow two low-level astronauts who embark on a media tour to warn mankind of an approaching asteroid that will destroy the Earth. Um, Sam, you and I have both have sort of similarly conflicted feelings about Adam McKay's directorial efforts in his career up to this mm-hmm. point, um, especially right. in the sort of serious realm that he's recently dipped, uh, dived into. So, like, you know, this cast is incredible. I think there's no doubt about that. What are your sort of thoughts about this big of a group, this big of an ensemble teaming up with Adam McKay? Well, yeah, I'm hoping because of the fact that he does have this insane cast with him will help, you know, me and you both find ways to like this movie because he did have a big cast. Like, you know, you had Ryan Gosling, Christian Bale, Steve Carell, and um, who else was in that movie? With, in the uh, big in the big short, uh, Brad Pitt short. was in there, Jeremy Strong was in there. Yeah, so it was a huge cast with that one. And that was a movie that, you know, I'm not the most financially literate person, so it kind of went over my head about a lot of the items in that movie. In that movie, but I you know the other one we saw was a Vice, which is a, I honestly it was a bad movie to be honest with you. I agree. I agree. So, but he does have his you know he, like his his ability to show him himself as a good storyteller and a good person behind the camera because of the fact that he is a short runner on Succession. And it's a both it's a show that we both think is great. We both we both enjoy, and the fact that we have you know this stat cast, and then I mentioned the fact that. You know, when when this first broke out, that Kate Blanchett was starring in this movie and the movie with uh, James Gray about Trump's uh, private school or whatever it was. Yeah, like inspired by that school. I picked, I picked this one just because of the fact that it sounded interesting. I was hoping that McKay could bounce back and hopefully I could see him in a different light because of the fact that with his other directorial efforts. And, you know, I think I'm hit it on the nose because of the fact that this stack is just insane. This cast is just insane. Do you think maybe this movie could be like a gravity in space? Or like, I mean, like a, like a political gravity with uh, Adam McKay in this, in this stat cast? I think it's certainly going to be political because that's obviously the route that Adam McKay wants to go down with like basically everything that he's doing. Um, and climate he's change? A, he's a very smart guy, right? Climate change, right. yeah, that, that's a very strong possibility. Um, he's very smart. You know the script is going to be at a sort of level because, yeah, with Vice and Big Short, like Big Short was like sort of up here in terms of how complex it was. And it was difficult to follow, even for somebody like myself who took classes on finance and, and stuff like that in school that like still a lot of it went over my and i'm glad that he made it digestible enough for people that um that it was still entertaining enough of a watch even if you didn't understand some of the moving pieces of it all um i I certainly differ with you i guess in terms of uh 
this comparing it to the other Cape Lantep product, uh, Armageddon Times, because like for me, Oscar Isaac and Robert De Niro are like top tier talent. And obviously Leo is in this cast, Meryl Streep, like you can't deny her talent. Um, Timothy Chalamet obviously being one of the most like sort of up and, uh, biggest up and comers right now of this generation of actors. But I, for me personally, I'm just more attached to those two actors that, in, that are in Armageddon Times and James Gray's movie more than this movie. I love Leo, but I don't love him as much as I love Oscar Isaac or Robert De Niro, if I'm being completely honest. Um, well, so you, you just forget to mention the fact that both Leo and Joan are, you know, coming back together after yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of and they, Wall Street, they, yeah. They have that great chemistry together in that movie, so hopefully that transfers into this one as well. And you would imagine that, like, Adam McKay can sort of replicate some of that, like, maniacal energy that's in Wolf of Wall Street that makes <laughs> right. that movie so good and why those two, like, played off each other so well. Um, the one that, like, you know, the thing that sort of stands out also to me is the, the casting of musicians in this Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi being sort of the the frontliners, and I think there's going to be other cameos oh, as well. God. Like, just you, made me remember the weird ass Shakespeare monologue thing in Vice, and they might do like a music number. And that's this what, one. well, like that's what I was going to ask you. Like, you know, even in Big Short, like there's this sort of weird um, stints where they pause, and like Margot Robbie is talking directly to the camera in the bathtub, or Selena Gomez is at the restaurant and talking directly to the camera as Selena Gomez, like. I fear that they're going to do something similar to that, like breaking the fourth wall, like they did with that Shakespeare thing. Hold um, on, just, maybe like maybe like they're like interviewing these celebrities as they as they're as themselves and saying like, what do you think is going to happen with this meteor that's coming to Earth? But I don't like that. Um, I don't know. We'll see how you, that you, turns you, out. You don't mind it because like even in the Big Short, I thought it was funny in the moment, but it actually like thinking back on it now, I love that movie so much. But those moments actually ended up taking me out of the movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, I guess that's just McKay's way of, I think this is like, a, like an imprint, like a signature. Sure. I guess maybe that's just how he wants to do it. And I, we can't really fault him for that. I mean, that's how he likes to do his movies. I guess. I, I guess we guys just kind of have to see how he executes it, executes it this time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it won't be as bad and won't be as, you know, on, on the nose or as fourth wally as it was in <laughs> Big Short. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't think it was just the, thing with Big Short is just the fact that I just didn't understand it. Okay. I, I thought it was an exceptionally well-made movie, and I understood, you know, as much as Adam McKay wanted me to understand, I think I, I got from that movie. I'm also, like, curious, where does Chalamet place, like, you know, put aside the musicians, like, the rest of the actors that are part of this thing, like Laura, Jennifer Lawrence, Blanchett, Streep, DiCaprio, even Jonah Hill, like, these are all veteran actors at this point and Chalamet mm. is an up-and-comer he's a, he's a kid more or less like he's still I think he's younger than both of us at 25 years old we are like he's still younger than us like where does he fit amongst this group I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that maybe like that. a like a rookie astronaut that's like sent for his first mission as you know to try and warn people about this meteor I, w- I was thinking that like an intern or something that's like working with the whoever I think the main astronomers are supposed to be uh, Blanchett and Leo or Jennifer Lawrence and Leo so it's going to be like maybe an intern working with those guys I think mm. that might be entertaining but that you know he's probably gonna have a smaller role if that is the case yeah I think I'm thinking the same thing just because of the fact that you did mention yeah I mean Jennifer Lawrence Oscar winner Kate Blanchett Oscar winner Leo DiCaprio Oscar winner Mel Streep Oscar winner and you know we have other ones like Timothy Jonah, I think I think Jonah Hill is like an Oscar nominated, so is Timothy. He's, he's an Oscar winner. Jonah Hill? Yeah, Moneyball. Oh yeah, that's on yeah. Netflix right now. Yeah, which Good is great. Him. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Sorkin <laughs> later. Talk about talk about an excellent Sorkin script. Go to Netflix right now and watch Moneyball because that's one of my favorite Sorkin scripts. Right. So the fact that we have all these Oscar players, I think they're gonna get like top billing. You know, most screen yeah. time. I think I, I think you're right on that. It's a stacked cast. Um, I'm I'm excited for this one, despite the fact that Adam McKay is directing it. Because you know he's he's fifty fifty for me. So like at this point, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. But we're both sounding more optimistic than we were a couple months yeah. ago. So that's yes. exciting at least. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and rapid fire through the rest of these 
movies because we have a whole lot to discuss in the uh, review segment of this because we're going to get deep into Middleburg. Uh, but it was a pretty busy news week. So uh, Michael B. Jordan is going to produce Static Shock movie. We got a new trailer for Soul. Um, we got a new trailer for the Amy Adams, Glenn Close, Oscar Netflix movie, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, Joaquin Phoenix and Ridley Scott are reteaming after Gladiator to uh, make a Napoleon movie entitled oh, Kid Bag. <laughs> um, I, Tanya director Gre- Craig Gillespie is going to helm a uh, Chippendales movie starring Dev Patel. Uh, we got a trailer for The Crown season four and um, something that we talked about previously, but a little bit of an add on to that. Anya Taylor-Joy has been confirmed for Furiosa and Chris Hemsworth and Yaya Abdul-Mateen, who I think we talked about in rumors back in the day, have actually been confirmed as part of that cast. Um, is there anything in this rapid fire segment that you want to hone in on before reviews? Um, I love the TV show. I like I grew up with it as a kid. I'm glad that Michael B. Jordan is leaning into his more producer, like he's putting on his producer producerial hat and, let's and not putting forget, this. Let's not forget that his producerial company is like one of the first ones that we're going to do the inclusion writer thing that Francis McDormand talked about at the Oscars. So like he's going to have a diverse sort of um, not just cast but also like a uh, crew around this movie as well. Exactly. So he has the he has the production, he has the know how, he has the budget. Obviously, with the Static Shock being a DC property. Yeah. So that's that's very exciting. I didn't watch the trailer for Soul because I just want to be going as fresh as possible. Um, I completely forgot that Joaquin Phoenix was the in 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 um gladiator with Ridley Scott. So that's, right. like, that's exciting. Um he's gonna play another, you know, crazy emperor. That's so that's another thing to look forward to. Uh trailer for Amy Adams. I I didn't watch that trailer. Um the Craig Gillespie like Oscar bait. Okay. Um Craig Gillespie with teaming up with Death Patel is exciting. I don't know what Chippendales is. Is that like a TV show that came out back the in the day? Chippendales is like that group of like famous shirtless male dancers that used to go around um, Oh like strippers. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So it's like Mad Max? Magic Mike. In a way, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna lean into that sort of Magic Mike type style, yeah. Okay, and the Crown season four. So I haven't seen the show. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we talked about how exciting it is to have Anya Taylor Joy being as Furiosa in the Mad Max prequel. Mm. I think the fact that after watching Trials Chicago Cinema, I'm much more excited to see Yaya in this movie. Oh, not after Watchmen, even after it was Trial of Chicago Seven. Yes. The Soul. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. That's interesting. Um, the one thing that I want to hone in on is actually that Chippendales movie. First off, because I'm just excited to see Dev Patel sort of stepping back into the Oscar realm after like. Is Lion. he gonna get big? I don't know. So like, I have to do a little bit more research on this guy. I did a little bit sort of upfront for this episode, and when I found out this was the movie but apparently the guy who started so basically it's the story of this guy named steve banerjee who was a you know he's an indian immigrant came to america was in la and basically brought back to life this dying nightclub by making it this sort of hub for like you know he had like women oh, wow. like re- wrestling in mud he had like these strippers dancing and stuff like that and it sort of set off this whole craze of this chippendales thing um but it sort of spirals out of control into like like he's like his girlfriend or his wife or fiance or something at the time was a playboy model um and his best friend was also some crazy la drug addict or something and like these two people die like one of them is murdered one of them commits suicide it's sort of it's sort of spirals into this whole like crime story and that's actually why i'm i, I think dev patel has actually been like circling this project for a while and now he's officially attached to star but like bringing C- craig gillespie onto this who also did itania and like itania was such like a frenetic sort of style version of like a telling a true crime story but through a you know breaking the fourth wall and telling it through a different lens and i thought pretty successfully so like putting that sort of sensibility on this kind of story i imagine he's going to do something similar maybe not as humorous as i Tanya, but in a similar vein and you know 
you you saw what Gillespie did with uh, the two performances, Allison Janney and, and Margot Robbie, getting them both Oscar nominations, one Oscar win there. That that's what's exciting me most about Dev Patel circling this project because it makes me think that maybe he can get himself back in the Oscar conversation. I'm just I'm just sorry we're not gonna watch this. We're not we're not gonna see the Green Knight this year. I know, right? I, I don't think the Green Knight obviously wasn't gonna be like an Oscar play, but that was you know when we saw that trailer. That we trailer like, was insane. As it, it looks. In- I, I you think there's still a chance we get in December? <laughs> no. No, you think I don't think so. I mean, because A twenty four is not doing the VOD thing. That's what I'm saying. The only reason we saw like Minari was because of the fact that we saw it through this film festival. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're going to do the same thing with uh, uh, the Green Knight just because of the fact that we don't. They're not going to get that same circulation, that same marketing as they did with a. Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah, think no, so. No, I agree with you. It bums me out. I just I want to see Dev Patel do more stuff. We have that. He did that uh, David Copperfield movie. Did you? You didn't see that one, right? Because it was in theaters, I think, only, so we couldn't like stream it. Or... Yeah, it, it never it never streamed, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't watch that one. I'm hoping it comes on demand soon because it's been a while since we've seen that. I think last thing I saw him in was Hotel Mumbai, which I don't think you even saw, right? That was the one with Army Hammer. No, I did not yeah, watch that yeah. one. Yeah, so last thing you probably saw him in was like Lion, which was like 2017. Lion, yeah, Lion. Yeah. Well, he doesn't I'm work ex- that much, but I feel he like he's just yeah. picking up now. Yeah, he really doesn't. Yeah, he's got a few things in the works, but I'm excited to see him do. I mean, we haven't seen him do anything like this either, so that's that's exciting to see him stepping into something different. <laughs> do, do, you, do you have a fan cast for the Static Shock movie? That's tough, because like, I guess, you know, you probably want to find somebody that's what between like 18 and 25 is sort of your target age range, right? Right. So I'm looking up the name of this actor right now, but I'm just going to see if you mention him before I say it. Okay. Well, like I'm going to talk about a movie from Middleburg in a second, but I'm more sold now on seeing Caleb McLaughlin. There you we, go. Uh, yeah. I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we talked about that off air and we might've even talked about it on the episode when we talked. He's about 18, that. dude. I yeah. had no idea. Well, well we're, we're going to get into Middleburg. So sh- let me just hold off my thoughts on Caleb McLaughlin for a few minutes when we get into sure. the middle. Are we ready to get into reviews? Cause yeah, I don't know if you had any other follow-up questions or should we just go ahead? Mm, No, I mean, that was my fan cast for Static Shock. Okay. So. Okay. So yeah, I, I think I'm sort of more on board with that now than I was, you know, even who, who did we, there was a conversation uh, Were we talking about Spider-Man with him. No, oh, no, we were talking, about, we were talking about static shock. We were talking about static shock with him. Cause there was really, a, yeah. When the DC was sort of um, redoing its slate, remember they were talking about like doing different uh, TV shows and people were lobbying to get static shock made. So we were talking about that mm-hmm. off the air. Okay. And uh, we, I think you brought up Caleb McLaughlin's name originally. And I was like, I think he's too young. And then you were like, no, he's like 18 years old. <laughs> and now I'll, I'll just say I'm more sold on him expanding himself from stranger things. Now, after seeing something I saw. Yeah. Same. So yeah, that's what, like, I was curious because we haven't got the new season yet. So mm-hmm. considering the fact that the like the Finn and mm-hmm. Caleb and like Noah and Millie have all aged significantly mm-hmm. since the beginning of Stranger Things, I'm curious to see how the next season turns out because you know how, how much they aged. I, I'm very much on board with that casting now. Let's go ahead and get into reviews. And <laughs> we have a lot of overlapping stuff this week, but we also have some stuff that we watch that doesn't overlap. So Sam, I'll let you start off with that stuff before we get into the Middleburg. <laughs> So like, I think this is the first week I didn't watch any horror movies, but this is actually, <laughs> you know, a fair amount of saw I saw this week. So the first two things that I saw that Raj didn't watch were um, Fargo season three and The Sound of Metal. So I literally just finished Fargo season three before we even hopped on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to finish this season because I haven't talked about it in a while. You know, I put it on the back burner for a good long while after the season two. And I think that this is my second favorite season out of the three so far because of the fact that, you know, we have Carrie Coon, we have Ewan McGregor, we have... 
Mary Elizabeth Winstead and you know Ewan McGregor playing a, like a twin role in the show, which was which was fun to watch. But the absolute standout of season three was uh, David Thewlis's you know very villainous and <laughs> very, very shifty individual in the show. He steals every single scene he's in, mm-hmm. and he's just fantastic. And it's like another fun you know great season for Fargo. And you know I'm glad I got a chance to watch this final the show finally. And like I think. It's already seven episodes in for season four with Chris Rock. So I mean, I might just start that maybe once it finishes that way I could just binge it. That's what I'm doing. Because it's like, it's almost done. So it might as well, right? That's exactly what I'm doing. So um, we can talk about it together when we binge. <laughs> hey, there you go. Um, so the second one, obviously for the next, the one that didn't overlap was Sound of Metal. Which is Middleburg, right? This is a Middleburg showing, which mm-hmm. stars Riz Ahmed. And I'm looking up the director's name right now, but he, this, this is his debut movie. And it's about this metal rocker metal drummer who is, starts to lose his, his hearing i think it's like tonight it's the same illness that bradley cooper's character had in the star is born the director's name is darius martyr and um this is a really good movie i mean the fact that you know he uses the director uses the uh, sound so well because of the fact that he's using he's losing his hearing he's losing his identity and we talked about this when the trailer came out and Rizamet plays this character so insanely well because he's just trying to find himself and trying to acclimate to losing his ability to play be a drummer in his band and you know without drumming he he essentially doesn't really have that push forward he's like a, he's a recovering addict so he has that um that like monkey on his back to say in a sense and this uh illness just brings it forth in him like the his past trauma so he carries that very well on his shoulders and i think the middle of this movie is the best where he's just trying to acclimate himself to his new illness and there but there was this um decision he takes um near the end of the movie where it kind of like upends all the lessons he's learned and level growth as his character and like it loses a lot of momentum but then there is this instance at the end i'm not gonna spoil anything where he is like you know he he does this thing he goes to see his girlfriend after going through this program of you know for uh, i think it's like a camp for deaf people and like a recovering addicts as well and he goes back to his girlfriend after finishing this program and you know he has this discussion with her and there's this you know really great scene of him just trying to come to terms with just being this new individual and it's coming back to him of the stuff that he learned by the character named joe who's also his mentor in this movie and he's like just trying to make ends meet essentially because of the fact that he's kind of homeless now because of what he did and he's thinking about what it is that he learned and he's like reflecting he goes to this bench at the end of the movie and he's reflecting and everything that he learns and there's it just comes back to him it comes full circle and because of the fact that it saves the movie from you know being something that falls flat because of the the choice that he makes in the middle of the movie but you know it's a okay. solid you know a really good debut solid movie resume is fantastic in the, in the movie what's um his oscar chances because i've heard recently especially because this is sort of a lighter year that he could definitely sneak into that best actor that, race yeah he's like he's like the sixth seventh eighth spot if okay. I'm in like a regular year, maybe mm-hmm. like a top 10, I would say. And the top five year, are all Chicago seven actors for you. Exactly. <laughs> so, but like this year, I think he has a good chance of being uh, that nomination just because of the fact of how well he portrays his character in the movie. That's exciting. Yeah, I didn't see this one. I opted out of it for Middleburg just because it's going to be on Amazon in about a month. And I wanted to put that money towards other movies. But I'm really excited for this one. We talked about the trailer and I can't wait to see what Riz did with this performance. Let's see what you saw this week before um, we get into our overlapping movies. Yeah. So the first thing I saw, uh, I've, I watched a lot this week. So I went back in time and watched, I saw The Devil. This is a Korean movie that Sam's been recommending to me for a while. It's basically <laughs> about this guy who um, 
who finds, kidnaps, murders this woman, um, and that woman's uh, husband, fiance, husband, um, basically is a sort of like Secret Service FBI type agent, and uh, this guy, this killer doesn't know that. This guy, um, the husband, basically goes on a murderous rampage to try to find this guy. Um, Sam, you were praising this movie, like you were, you were praising it quite a bit, and you were not the only one praising this thing. I, I heard a lot of praise for this movie. Um, it didn't quite hit that mark for me, unfortunately. Okay. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, it's extremely violent, um, extremely gory, and I think the action stuff is really good. Like that's when it sort of rat- ratchets up the tension, and it gets um, it get it becomes like sort of a, a very like claustrophobic type thriller, and in that sense, it worked for me. It's the stuff that surrounded that like it was just so dark and i didn't really get to know the husband and the whole point of the movie is kind of trying to show you like that although this murderous killer um and it doesn't really like flinch on any of these murders like it it shows you every gruesome detail um it's like a lot of the movie focuses on this murderous killer basically like telling this guy who's supposed to be quote unquote the good guy that he's also just as psychopathic as and murderous as as the killer is mm-hmm. and I, I i understood that but i didn't really care because like i didn't know the guy before like i just know that his wife was killed but like he basically just comes into the situation and just starts ravaging everybody and while i understand that he's going to go after these people because they killed his wife like i just didn't know him before so he just very very well could have been a psychopath before we met him and mm-hmm. we just we just didn't know that and that kind of bothered me a little bit okay so, like, i didn't quite latch on to his character as a hero um that being said like the guy who plays the killer um min sick Choi, who's also an old boy like this is sort of him completely unhinged the same way he was an old boy um and, and that i love to see i mean this actor I, I don't know him outside of anything but this movie an old boy but like between those two performances he's just absolutely incredible so i, I was just kind of blown away by that performance well, the reason that I love this movie so much is because of the fact that it's not a traditional horror movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it kind of flips the archetypes on its head, as you said, because of the fact that the husband character, this cop guy, is as maniacal, as murderous, as, you know, as bloodthirsty as the actual serial killer in the movie. And I like seeing that that duality play on screen and just seeing how it all ends up at the end. And, you know, Korea like we talked about this off air like last week where we said that <laughs> like every know, week <laughs> korean korean cinema is probably like probably second best behind america and because of the fact that they just do all all these like you know very like dark and depraved movies and characters so well and the fact that you know this is a very gory movie it's very violent like it doesn't flinch it doesn't let you like there's like several scenes where it's just kind of like hard to watch what's going on on crazy yeah. and but i think the fact that they just executed so well and made it feel as real as it was mm-hmm. and we have seeing that duality play on screen between the protagonist quote unquote and the antagonist being the serial killer is why i like this movie so much yeah and i agree with that side of it i just wish we had gotten to know the main character a and that's little fair bit more. that's fair yeah we see one scene of him before he goes on this rampage so like even if we had just gotten like two or three more scenes seeing his struggle seeing his grapple like I would have been a little bit more attached to it, but we just didn't get that. So sure, yeah. but, you th- but you still think it's a good movie? I do, I do. Yeah, I okay. think I gave it like three and a half on Letterbox. Yeah, yeah, three, three out of five. Yeah, three and a half out of five. I can live with that. The other movie, uh, this is sort of ch- uh, shading into new releases now. I'll start with Nocturne, um, which is part of the Amazon Blumhouse sort of team up where they release four movies on Amazon over the past couple of weeks, sort of like horror themed movies. I heard this was the best one of the lot of the four movies. And if this is the best one, the rest must be atrocious because this movie's not good. Um, I'm not going to spend any time on it really, but it was just dull. <laughs> it was boring. It was slow. Um, kind of tried to, it had a unique concept off the bat and it just didn't really capitalize on it. Um, I'm not going to spend any more time bashing.
watching this movie because I don't want to do that. Nocturne, not very good. Okay. Um, so let okay. me start with. So there's two movies that I saw in Middleburg that you didn't see. I'm gonna hold off on one mm-hmm. and I'm gonna start with one. Um, the one that I'll start with is called Concrete Cowboy. This is the one starring Caleb McLaughlin along with uh, Gerald Jerome and Idris Elba. It's about this young troubled boy who's uh, taken to Philadelphia to be taken care of by his father because his mother basically can't handle him anymore. Um, when, when he gets there, he discovers that his father is basically part of this community of uh, this like sort of black community in Philadelphia who are all like horse riders. And it sort of tells this, um, I think it's based off a true story. Like the, the people in the movie are non-actors. They're actually people that live in this community. It's a very small budget thing. Um, and like so like this guy he goes he he has to rekindle this relationship this broken relationship that he has with his father um and this horse riding and this connection that he has with these animals sort of becomes a therapy for him to uh, correct himself but also it becomes therapy for him in terms of reforming his family and this is like where I'll, what we'll talk about with Caleb McLaughlin like I just hadn't seen enough of him outside of Stranger Things to think that he was a talented actor he's an incredible actor he he bears so much emotional weight in this thing and you know he's going toe-to-toe with Jarell Jerome and Idris Elba that's not an easy ask and he he's the emotional anchor of this movie he's the main character and and he handles it like he he has some heartbreaking scenes he has some scenes where he has to blow up and start screaming and crying and i was just so so impressed by his performance um obviously the other two actors are great as well um a good debut by this director um actually more so the cinematographer like this movie is one of one of if not the best looking movie that i've seen all year like it's sort of toe to toe with Nomadland in terms of the most beautiful movies I've seen this year. Like there are screen, there are shots from this movie that are like burned into my brain. Like the cinematography is just beautiful, beautiful. Like he uses sunsets and lights and stuff. It's, it's just incredible. Um, a little bit messy, a little bit sort of slow at the end. So it kind of lost me a little bit in the last 15 minutes or so. Um, but up to that point, I was really, really enjoying this movie. Um, I had heard like, we're going to come out on VOD. I don't know that. I think this one doesn't have distribution yet. That's why I sort of seek this one out. Okay. Um, because I wanted to see it before it, it will come out eventually. Um, I just don't, it hasn't gotten any distribution yet. So I don't okay. know exactly when um, yeah. let's start getting into the stuff that we overlapped on. Cause the one that we didn't overlap on, I want to save that for a little bit later. Um, so let's start. Okay. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with one night in Miami Minari or trial of Chicago seven? I'll let you take the baton. Uh, let's start with one night in Miami just because of the fact that it's a lesser known movie and it's actually Regina King's directorial debut. Mm -hmm. It's about, uh, it's basically like a window into a night where, uh, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, uh, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown all meet up in a hotel room after Muhammad Ali's big win over Sonny Liston. I think it's based off a true story or inspired by a true story, but it's all like fictional accounts because nobody was actually in on this conversation. Nobody knows what they actually talked about. So um, it's just basically telling this night through the perspective of these characters and these friends basically spending a night in a hotel room together. Okay, so um, I thought this movie was solid. I thought it was, you know, it was it was okay because of the fact that I did. I had no idea what this movie was about going into it. All I saw was that one frame of, mm-hmm. from the end of the movie with a with a all Leslie Odom guys. Jr. Yeah. and like they're all yeah they're all together in that one bar. But like and it was like Regina King's directorial debut. But I had no idea what it was what it was going into it. So there was in there wasn't any real conflict. There wasn't really anything that they were building towards. For the entire first half of the movie, like I had no idea what the purpose of this movie was up until they get into that confrontational scene in the middle at the hotel. So like before, between like the half and the up until like you know when Sam Cook and um, Malcolm X get into it with each other with their idealistic approaches on like their suffering, their like their um movements of of like, the, the civil rights movement. Up until then, it just felt like it was just you know plodding along. 
like they didn't feel like it really had any purpose but and then once it does kick off you know i had a it was very fun to watch like these icons of like american history just you know being in a room together and you know just talking at each other and having this dialogue and you know talking about their ideals and their philosophies and how they should approach their fame and their fortune and how they could push themselves to be you know how can they further like their african-american community but you know it's a, it's a very half and half movie. i think i gave it a three out of five stars on a uh, letterbox this was my fa- second favorite movie out of middleburg actually okay. um okay. so I, I i absolutely love this thing I, I think it's um i was first off like so blown away by the way that regina king brings it's a stage play first off and, and the same person that wrote the stage play wrote the screenplay for it and you can kind of tell but i'm really impressed by the way in her directorial debut that regina king brought the stage play to life for the screen um all four of the performances aldous hodge plays jim brown leslie odom jr plays uh, cook eli gory i think is how it's pronounced plays uh muhammad ali slash slash Cassius Clay and mm-hmm. uh, Kingsley Ben Adir plays Malcolm X. I mean, all four of these performances are scene stealers. Like they just held my attention through the entire thing. They all have their sort of big, like, you know, quote unquote Oscar moments. And I wouldn't be surprised if all four, maybe three of the four of these guys get put into the Oscar conversation to get nominated. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, it's tough. Cause I think all of them are so good. I've just been really impressed by what Aldous Hodge is doing recently. Um, Really? He's really good. He has these quiet sort of subdued moments and he has the least to do, I think, of all the characters. But in the moments where he has these sort of quiet conversations, he kind of gets one-on-one moments with every single character. And in those one-on-one moments, I think he really shines. If I had to pick another one um, that sort of stood out to me, it'd be the guy that played Muhammad Ali, um, just because I hadn't seen him before. And I just thought he really sort of captured the essence of who we know Ali to be. But like all four of these guys, it's hard to pick one um i just think that you know what you're talking about there isn't a whole lot of conflict and it does feel like a hangout movie in a way um Mm -hmm. but i think it has so much more deep not even like you know it's not even like a subtle message it's a very sort of overt message in the conversation that the movie transitions into and where the eventual conflict sort of stems from and it's about you know it's these four guys who are prominent figures who are icons who are musicians and athletes and whatnot but like at the end of the day, each of these guys sort of did something for race and for civil rights that, uh, you know, sort of propelled the movement in a certain direction. And when it sort of gets to that conversation, it, it reminds you that these guys are friends, but they're friends united in something that's so much bigger than what they are, even though they're amongst the most famous people in the world. And I just thought that that was really powerful um it also does like a good job of just sort of blending that humor and friendship side of it like you feel like these guys really know each other with the drama and the weight and i just think like it's so much more impactful than it seems like on its surface like you could go into this thing and you could think on its surface you're just gonna go watch a movie about this night that muhammad ali hung out with jim brown who are two like athletic icons but like at its core it's so much more than that Mm -hmm. and and i just think that like because it works as so much more than that, but it also works as sort of a hangout movie. It, it sort of excelled in a different degree for me. Yeah, I think I think I don't know just that du- no, not the duality, but like the two different contrasting you know aspects of it being the first half and the second half of the movie mm-hmm. when it actually kicks off. Like it doesn't kick off until an hour into the movie is why I had issue with it. But I'm gonna go back to what you said with the fact that Aldous Hodge is probably the standout. My standout for me was the guy who played Malcolm X. I don't know the, who okay. the actor's name is. That's a but, Kingsley Ben Adir. I've never seen him in anything. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, me neither. So, but I think he just did an incredible job of portraying Malcolm X. You know, I've seen him being played by uh, Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. And I'm blanking on the other actor's name, but he was like a smaller role in the recent movie. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if I had to rank him, it'd be Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, and 
Jim Aldous Brown. Hodge is Jim Brown. Okay. Uh, so. it's, uh, like, all four of these guys are just spectacular. Like, Leslie no, no, Odom, yeah, no, they're all great. Every yeah. time Leslie Odom Jr. sings, it's just, like, insane. Like Especially that, in, in the final moment. Oh, he's so talented. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, it's a solid movie for the mm-hmm. most part. Just didn't, I, couldn't, I just couldn't hook myself into it until halfway in. I, I loved it. I, like I said, it was my second favorite movie out of uh, Middleburg. Uh, do you want to get into Minari next? Yes. So we talked about Minari. We've talked about Minari plenty on here. Yeah. I mean, it's the story of a Korean family that moves to Arkansas. Um, They start a farm. They're basically adapting to this new life. They're moving to, they're not moving from Korea. They're moving from California, but they are Korean immigrants originally. Um, Talking about how they adapt to this new land, the people around them, the setting, um, you know, struggling with a lot of different things, uh, being the farm, be it the family struggles, whatever it may be. Um, This movie is as good as you've heard and as good as we've sort of talked about in, in this on this podcast it, it sort of starts i think with the cast the i mean the cast is just outstanding like steven yun obviously you know he's come into his own as an actor in sort of a way i think nobody would have predicted like five years ago like he, he's just a spectacular actor and he's another one that i think you should keep your eyes on in terms of oscar potential i think he has a strong chance of getting in there oh he's in there he's in yeah, there yeah i'm pretty <laughs> confident about that but like the whole cast like uh yeri han who plays the wife yun yu jun yon who plays the grandmother like this is steen stealer and some of this oh yeah She's so funny. Um, Noel Cho plays the daughter, but also like Alan Kim, who's probably maybe the biggest star of this entire thing, who plays the son, David. Like he's just, he's so freaking hilarious, so adorable. Like he just, he's amazing in this thing. Um, It's a very personal story for Chung, who's the director of this movie. Um, but he makes it feel universal. This is something I talked about Greta Gerwig, which she does so well. She tells these stories that are personal to her, but makes them feel relevant to every single person that's watching the thing. And that's what I think that Lee Isaac Chung does with this movie. Um, and sort of what expanded my belief and understanding of that, I was watching the, the they did like a panel with the entire cast from Middleburg uh, that you could watch after the screening. So I was watching that this morning. Um, and like the thing that they honed in on, like uh, Chung, the director, as well as the cast, they honed in on the fact that this is not a Korean American story. It's an American story through told through the lens of Korean immigrants, which are two mm-hmm. um, entirely different things. And, and what he meant by that was like this struggle, while it is specific to this Korean family, it's also specific to an American family, a black family, an Indian family. Like it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. it's just this, you know, it's this daily struggle of trying to make it, trying to make money, trying to survive in this new place, this foreign place that you don't quite understand. Um, um, you know, the family drama of it all and, and sort of the the overarching theme of this thing is, is I think, resilience and, and Minari, the title, comes from this plant that's basically the grandma brings this plant from Korea that you can plant anywhere and it'll grow no matter what the circumstances. And I think that's sort of a metaphor for what the movie's about is this sort of resilience of this family, you know, despite the fact that they're on hard times and they're crumbling in certain ways and they're struggling in certain ways. And I don't want to get into spoilers, but things start to unravel in a pretty dramatic way. Um, it's about resilience and it's about the uh, emotion of that all. You know, it, it hits on those emotions, but it also hits on the humor. It's one of the funniest movies that I've seen all year. Um, it just has this universality to it. And like that universality of that situation, the understanding actually has me more excited about his Your Name remake. And we can talk about that a little bit more in depth in a second, but I want to get your thoughts on the movie first. Yeah, I got so scared when we, before we started recording, like, he's like, we might disagree a lot this week because <laughs> I, I, I adored Minari. I think yeah, this movie was fantastic. It's not on this one. It's it's insanely, it's insanely intimate. It's, you know, it's it's human. It feels, all these characters feel very lived in. 
I mean, it's one of those like uh, fly in the wall movies where you just like stand back and watch what these characters are going through. It's like not really, you know, an overt message about like the American dream or how important family is. It's just about this Korean family. And you just mentioned the fact that it makes it feel universal because it's being told through, it's an American story being told through the lens of a Korean family. But because of the fact that it's not, you know, something that's, it's, it's very subtle is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. This is such a, Lee Isaac Chung does such a good job of conveying these messages through the lens of this little boy who is the star of this movie. He's fantastic. And his uh, dynamic between him, his mother, his, his, his father, his mm-hmm. sister, but most importantly, the dynamic between him and his grandmother is just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hysterical. It's heartwarming. There's a scene at the end of this movie that made me cry mm-hmm. and it really hit me hard. Like it's like one of those movies where you just like, you could be bored with like it's very quiet there's not a lot of there's not a lot there's not a huge soundtrack mm-hmm. just watching these people just go through their lives and go through their struggles but then it's that impact like it's like kind of like similar to what happened with roma like you're just watching this um stuff go go down with these characters there's not something insane going around them but you're just like kind of like learning how what kind of humans they are like you're just learning about their character but then that moment happens at the end you just like it's like a smack hit mm-hmm. and it just like it just hit you all at once at what what you just saw mm-hmm. and i think you know lee isaac just did an incredible job in trying or just making just just hitting all the emotional beats essentially yeah do you kind of see what i'm saying because you were a little bit more hesitant than i was yes. on that re- no, yeah. thing. Now, now i'm excited for your name re- yeah re- i mean like the way that he just makes this thing so accessible but also so relatable i mean like it, it you know it makes me think that you know i talked about on, on that your name episode i talked about you know the fact that he is a, an asian american director and he could bring some of those sensibilities of being somebody who moved to because this movie is based off his life more or less his own Mm -hmm. father and his own experiences um so he could tell it from that perspective but also like he doesn't necessarily need to tell from that perspective and i properly understand that after seeing this movie because he tells something a story that is foreign to each and every one of us except for him Mm -hmm. um but he makes it something that we can all relate to and find ourselves find ourselves in and i think that that's a very key sort of core aspect of what needs to be successful about this your name remake so this this only like shot that excitement from like 80 percent to like 99 percent now yeah he does such a good job i think that like one of the huge the biggest things about this movie is the fact they just feel so intimate and Mm -hmm. if you can transfer that intimacy from minari to your name we're gonna get another like like grand slam out of the park i have very few doubts about it now especially after seeing this movie. yeah same me too um Okay, so we have one movie that overlaps now, one movie that doesn't overlap. I think these are both our personal favorites from what we saw this weekend. So do you want to talk about the one that we overlap on or the one that we don't overlap on first? Let's let's end on the one we overlap. That way okay. we can both have something to talk about because I okay. didn't watch this no, next th- one. That's fine, yeah. And this was the last thing that I saw at Middleburg. Um, this was sort of a last-minute purchase. Um, I had This movie had been on my radar since TIFF because I knew it had premiered there. Um, and I was sort of debating. I was like, I've only got three things on my slate for Middleburg. I want to add like at least one more. I added some of like the talks, like the Minari one and Aldous Hodge. I got a conversation with him. I had an Aaron Sorkin conversation, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, the last thing I ended up adding was Wolfwalkers, this Irish animated movie set in the 1600s about this young girl and her father who live in Ireland. Um, father is basically like a hunter. They've moved to Ireland from London. The father has moved here to basically hunt and protect this town from wolves. Um, and the daughter, you know, she sort of looks up to the father. She wants to be on to herself. Um, and then she goes out on this sort of mini adventure at the beginning of the movie. She has an encounter with the wolves. She makes an interesting discovery about these beasts and um, something that lives among them or lives with them um, spirals off into this adventure uh, and brings up all these like sort of challenges that I think the daughter, the fa- father, the family as itself were not quite expecting. 
um, this is my favorite movie of the year. Having sat on it now for about 24 hours, I, I can pretty confidently say that. Um, you know, it's, you know, first off from a visual style, it's, it's such a unique sort of, uh, it's a 2D animated hand-drawn style, like, which we obviously, oh, yes. you know, we don't talk about that very my often. language. But like, you know, it's not, it's not even, it's actually distributed in the U.S. by G Kids, who distribute a lot of the Ghibli movies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got some uh, Japanese sort of, um, it's got Japanese inspiration. It's also got Japanese distribution. Um, you know, it's got, it's got the sort of ties, which you'll see when you see the movie, but uh, it's not, you know, it's not copying or even very similar to any of those like Japanese or even those 90s Disney's or anything like that like it's a very unique style of animation I think it'll work for some people it won't work for some people because it's very distinct um I think it looked spectacular it was just so different from anything I'd quite seen so that that in itself was sort of the first draw of me to this movie um mm-hmm. but like this like this, you know you talk about Minari moving you to tears. This movie moved me to tears like three or four times, and especially in the sort of latter half, it's because you're a crybaby. I am a crybaby. <laughs> I cry in movies, but this I mean this one got me more than anything else I've seen this entire year. And it's like it's such a beautiful story about friendship and about family, but most importantly about identity. I've talked about movies about identity and why those things work for me. So particularly this movie hones in on that. Um, it's just it's just so stunningly emotional in the way that it sort of tells the story and balances the adventure of it all the humor of it all but also like just the plain old human drama and it's kind of told through a perspective and a lens that's not very human so to make it human and make it relatable in that sense i I think it just worked all the better for me um the score the score is just spectacular i can't wait to be able to listen because it's very um it's inspired by sort of like folk irish but it's got this sort of modern spin on it so it sounds like very classical but also very modern in a sense um this is such an original movie and i think this is going to be one of those things that's like very very underseen it'll probably get oscar nominated for best animated feature but it has no chance against soul is my perspective at this point i haven't seen soul but the things that we've heard about soul i'm assuming it has no chance um but it has like you know if we got the audience behind this thing to see this thing i i truly believe like i'm not saying this just to hype it up like i think it's special enough to be like has the potential at least to be like one of these like iconic animated classics that even like maybe down the road people will discover and be like yo what is this thing what what is this like beautiful animated film this irish film that we've never heard of or anything and i i just hope that it does get discovered it's gonna be on apple tv plus december 11th so you can stream it do stream it because i I was just like i I, you know i was expecting to like this thing because i'd heard good things about it i was not expecting to be as blown away by it as I was. Yeah, I've been seeing like, you know, screen caps and like first first look images and yeah. I've been hearing about this movie for like the, like the entire year essentially. Mm-hmm. And the thing that surprises me most for one is the fact that this kind of beats out Nomadland as your number one. Yeah, actually yeah. there were, I, I think Nomadland was like pushed to four or five after this weekend because that's just so Jesus many things that Christ. I, I mean, uh, Minari, I think passed, surpassed it, One Night in Miami surpassed it, and this movie surpassed Nomadland for me. Okay, but the way you're talking about it, it sounds like more like it would have hit like top 10 of your decade list. Close you to think? it. I, th- I think if I had to place it right now, like if I had to retroactively put it in my top 10 of 2010 to 2019, it would certainly fall in like the top 25. I think I, I was just yeah. so blown away by this thing. Yeah. I think it was like the way that I like the way that I'm thinking about it is like similar actually to the way that I saw your name the first time I saw it, the way I was sort of encapsulated by that emotion of seeing that movie the first time. This mm-hmm. one hit me in a certain way and in, in a similar oh, way. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was okay. really special. 
Well, the, obviously, so the story is obviously there, and you're obviously raving about it. But the thing, being an animation nerd myself, you mentioned the fact that this could probably be grading to the eyes. Like it could be a bit mixed response in regards to how people perceive the animation. Yeah. Is there a reason for that? Because I'm kind of concerned. Because like, 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 let me ask you: How is like the fluidity of the movement? How are the vibrancy of the colors? How ambitious is the space that that's, this that's thing exa- operates in? That's exactly all of it. It's not very fluid. It's very vibrant in colors. Very pop, pop out of your eyes. Okay. Um, but it's all intentional. It's all very intentional. And I fear that people might interpret it as like quote unquote cheap, but it's very much the opposite of cheap. Okay. So like. Would you if you watch the if you, if you watch the trailer on. if you watch the trailer you'll get a good sense of what it's gonna look like. Okay, so I was because I was gonna ask you like would you characterize the fluidity as like claymation? No, it's, it's smoother than claymation. Okay, and it's not like through the entire thing it sort of jumps back and forth depending on what the scene is, and that's what I meant by it's so unique. It's not sort of your standard animation that you're used to. It, it tells it you know when there are scenes of mystical stuff going on, it changes the style, it changes the approach, it changes the look. When it's sort of these small intimate moments between the father and the daughter, it changes the approach to the style of animation. It's kind of shifting back and forth, and I think that might throw some people off. But I think that was it, it, not. I think I know it was very intentional because you could tell by the way it's stylized, but also. So it just worked for me very well. Okay, so I'm looking. I'm look. I'm gonna load the trailer right now. I'm looking mm-hmm. at clips of it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'll mm-hmm. say that. Yeah, it is interesting. It's but very- I'm, I'm actually really curious just to see who was behind this. Who, it's you know, a, like the- yes, it is an. It's an Irish director. I believe his name is. Oh God, I'm blanking on it now. Um, but he I'm, he's I'm directed. It up right now. He's directed a movie. Tom called- Tom Moore and Ross Stewart are yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Tom Moore is the the director who's directed other things. I think it's called a Sea of the Sand or something that came out a couple of years ago, which is also Song Oscar of the Sea. Song of the Sea. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And, and the Breadwinner. So, yeah. So like they they've they're pretty established names in the animation sphere and they've both been Oscar nominated I think multiple times. Yeah, their um their studio is called Cartoon Saloon. I've been seeing that studio been thrown around a lot. I don't think I've ever seen anything from that studio, so it's hard for me to say if I'll like this one or not. But I'm curious to see where he went to school. But regardless of that, um, I guess I guess I gotta put another movie on my watch list. Yeah, yeah. This I mean, you have Apple, you have it through December. I just. I have to do like next year. <laughs> I, I hope this thing hits as well for you as it did for me. I mean, it's sitting pretty high. I didn't even know what the critic scores were were going into it. I saw them after the fact. I just had seen good things because it premiered, obviously, like I said, at TIFF. So I started to see like stuff about it at that point when it was, and then it got picked up by Apple and whatnot. And people were talking about it. So I was like, okay, this thing has potential. And then I went and looked up the reviews after watching. I was like, okay, critics seem to be in agreement with me, which is not very often that that happens. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at this guy, Tom Moore's education, because I was curious to see if he went to my school because my oh, yeah, school yeah, is like yeah. huge on animation but he yeah. went to a bally fermo college of further education in dublin dublin yeah is irish he's irish yeah he's okay. an irish director so that makes sense um let's get into the last movie now which we do overlap on this is not middleburg this is netflix so this is something that everybody can watch from the comfort of their own home right now So i, I guess i'm gonna go ahead and i guess start with my review then mm-hmm. um so i literally just finished watching this movie I, before i started the last two episodes of fargo and you know i don't know how you do that how you watch stuff and then go straight into recording i, <laughs> I need time like even having watched one night in miami this morning at 10 a.m and giving it enough time between then and now like i'm i was still sort of iffy to, and like not I ready just, to- i don't know because i'm i'm processing while i'm watching and even after i finish the movie that opinion can still change but i know what i feel about the movie once i finish watching it okay but um the fact that this movie came out this year is the fact that this its relevancy hit me the way that it did and the fact that you know aaron sorkin's writing it's like 
fluid like water and the fact that it's coupled with insane you know acting masterclasses by this insane cast is why i would say that this is my number one movie of the year i mean i I can't really encapsulate how you know important this movie is because of the fact of how relevant it is with like you know the democratic process due process um you know protesting and like the outlook of how police kind of you know incite rights and all of that as relevant as it is today telling a story from 1968 exactly yeah it's insane it's it's wild to me that that i mean i think it just speaks to aaron sorkin's ability as a mm-hmm. as a both as a director and both as a writer mm-hmm. but um you know just seeing these characters portray these real life figures on screen as well as they did with the chemistry that they had and the dynamics that they you know were able to cultivate throughout this entire movie and it just it, it all melded so like i can't really think of a scene or a sequence that didn't uh, hit flat for me but like them I would say the standouts for me are Frank Langella, who plays the judge in this movie, um, Mark Rylance, who has several Oscar, you know, recording reels that he could put on screen. But the one that surprised me most is Yaya Abdul-Mateen mm-hmm. as, um, what's his name? Bob uh, Seal. Bobby, Bobby Seal, yeah. The, Bobby Seal as the leader the of the Black... Of the- Mm-hmm, go ahead. As leader of the Black Panther Party, because up until this point, I've been seeing this guy as like this very, you know, physically imposing individual. He's very stoic. He's very, you know, he, he plays these very contained characters. He doesn't have much to say. But in this movie, he's like completely, you know, exuberant. Like he 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 goes off the walls. He I've never seen him. I, I had no idea he had this ability under his belt. Like the fact that he's able to portray this guy who's a real life figure as somebody who is completely sympathetic, somebody who has his own character, his own individualism and seeing him just steal the scenes in the, in the court sequences where he does have moments to speak is why I would say that he's the highlight of this movie. Okay. I I agree with a lot of what you just said. And I, I sort of coming off of this, having watched it Friday, I was like on a similar sort of high as you are right now (laughs) in terms of this being like one of my favorite, if not my favorite movie of the year. Um, and then I did a little bit of research into the true story of it and that, that shifted a little bit of my perspective, not a whole lot. Um, but there's a particular moment in this movie that that sort of hinges on that I'll talk about that in a sec. Cause I want to agree with you first on, on like, you know, when you pair Aaron Sorkin's writing, like, let alone, like, I think he still has a lot of work to do as a director. He's not like, you know, he's not doing stylist stuff. He's no Spielberg by any means in the way he moves the camera. Um, but he certainly has the potential to become a great director because he's so ingrained in the filmmaking process as a writer Mm -hmm. and like you don't need him to be an outstanding director because his scripts are so good and it's the case here i mean this movie just balances that sort of great powerful rousing moments that you get towards the end of the movie with the sort of like you know you got the humor between like jeremy strong and sasha baron cohen's characters in, in this movie um and even the dynamic that they play off Eddie Redmayne with, like it just, that writing is just so spectacular. And then yeah, you pair it with a cast that's as good as this cast. I mean, like these are like all A-listers and not only the A-listers, they're all like working at the top of their game. Um, in terms of standouts, I agree with you. Yaya Abdul-Mateen um, was certainly one of them. I wish he was in the movie more. He, you know, if you know the yes. story of it all, you know that he sort of leaves about two thirds, maybe even halfway through the movie. He doesn't, he sort of loses his prominence in this sort of trial. Um, and I, that bothered me a little bit. I wish he had gotten a bigger role. I wish he had sort of gotten more screen time. Mark Rylance, I agree. I was like sort of on the train of like, I am not going to support Mark Rylance after he won the Oscar over uh, Sly. For It's not his fault though. I know he it's didn't... not. It's not. And he, he was great in British 
Spies. I just didn't think that he was like Oscar worthy in British Spies. Then like I saw him I'm in, the, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. And I, I saw him in Dunkirk and I was like, you know, that's a completely different performance, but I was like, okay, this guy really has it. And then like here it's on a completely different level. Like this, this may be my favorite. I, I think actually Dunkirk is still my favorite Ryland's performance that I've seen, but this is a close second. Like he has like you said, a lot of big Oscar moments and they're just, they're so powerful and moving. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very, very good in this movie and nobody's talking about him. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's because his character is a bit of a questionable character, but I think the way that Gordon-Levitt portrays that character is a difficult thing to do in a way that you have to sort of sympathize and understand with certain things that he's saying, but also understand that he's not necessarily the best person and kind of walking that fine line. I, I think that Gordon-Levitt, and I've heard Sorkin actually say this as well, that like his is the performance that people are not talking about that they should be talking about, and I agree with that. Um, and then Eddie Redmayne, like, you know, this guy, like, you know, say what you will about like his performance. Like, I don't like the, his performance in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, I, he's questionable in some of the other stuff, but he's like the nicest person in the world. So I always feel bad, like bad mouthing him. But this is like where I really saw him come to life, I think as an actor for me, like first off the accent, he sort of nails the spe- specificity of the accent of Tom Hayden, especially if you've like listened to audio recordings and whatnot, he really, really nails it. And he has some big emotional beats in this movie. And he's kind of the emotional anchor in a lot of ways of this movie. And he bears it with such a uh, class, I think. And I think that he, he might have even stolen the show for me. Between those four actors, it's hard to pick one that I think was my favorite. That was but, my question for you because I know your relationship with Eddie Redmayne. And that I thought he was spectacular. The fact that he, you know... he was spectacular <laughs> in this movie. I was so surprised. Uh, but like every but I'm actor, hoping to see. Go ahead. Yeah, like I'm saying, I'm hoping to see like Sasha Baron Cohen get a get an Oscar nod. Um, I'm kind of sad at the fact that Jeremy Strong didn't have a lot to do, but he mm-hmm. does have like he he does provide a lot of levity mm-hmm. and the fact that you know his 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 relationship with Sasha Baron Cohen's character mm-hmm. and their relationship with the judge is like one of the best parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like the one of the moments where like it's just it's it's at its funniest. Mm-hmm. Like Sasha Baron Cohen's he has incredible comedic delivery. If you are, if you haven't don't already know that mm-hmm. it's very obvious. But if you watch this movie you can tell that he does also have you know the acting chops to portray a character like um was his name alfie uh, uh, abby, abby, abby hoffman abby hoffman, abby hoffman. Mm-hmm. so he, he so that really that was a great surprise for me as well we talked about how the fact that he was the only actor who stayed on between both the production of for when it was under spielberg and then when it came when it transferred over to sorkin mm-hmm. and you know it was completely justified to put him in it's such a prominent role in this movie he's, he's how well really he did. good yeah he's really good it's i'm like i wouldn't want to be in netflix's boat in terms of who you campaign for this thing i imagine that <laughs> rylance is probably who they put most of their money behind for campaigning and i would think because there's no i wouldn't say there's a lead in this would you if you put lead i would say maybe Redmain, but i don't know like maybe baron cohen as well those being your two leads, who else would you pick as a lead? Because I don't think you pick Mateen as your lead. I don't think you pick Langella as your lead. I don't think you pick Rylance as your lead. I think those guys all go supporting. Yeah, I would say like the core five people, because even they said it in themselves mm-hmm. in the movie, is the fact that the seven of the people that they picked out for the purpose of this trial, mm-hmm. two of them are going to be used to like just give the the people a gimme like just to say like here's right. your acquittal right. we're gonna con- we're gonna convict these other guys because you know whatever mm-hmm. so like the core five being eddie redmayne uh sasha baron cohen jeremy strong mm-hmm. who are the other two um the guy who plays zodiac in oh uh or oh god zodiac and zodiac yeah, yeah I, I know i know i know who you talk i always forget his name he directed he's been directing movies as well he's coming a lot of stuff here i'm gonna look it up real quick and um, him and who was the fifth one here i'm looking it up real quick um so who did you who did you already say sorry i lost track so there's so it was eddie redmayne jeremy strong sasha baron cohen and john carroll lynch is david dellinger john carroll lynch yeah he's david dellinger and then um the last one is um god what is his name what is his name what is his name 
Oh, the one that the oh, Rennie, of Rennie, Redmayne. Red, Rennie yeah. Davis. Rennie Davis. Rennie Davis. Yes. Yes. I don't know. I don't know who yeah. the actor is who plays Rennie Davis, but uh, Rennie Davis is. He's the, a smart. I, I don't think I've ever seen him before, but I would say those are the core main actors. Mm-hmm. But based on screen time, Sasha Baron Cohen, Frank Langella, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, mm-hmm. would be like the top three. I would say. Okay. Don't you think? I think it's close. Yeah. Gordon Levitt, I'm a little bit sort of hesitant on just because, uh, like I said, like I think that from the performances that I sort of liked, he's up there, but I don't know if like the Oscar voters will get behind him in that way. No, we're, I thought we were talking about like the main characters. Oh, from preference wise? No, I'm just based on who's the main character of the movie. Oh, no, I would say I, it's like a core of characters rather than just. I, w- I, w- I would say if you had to build like a lead in this movie, it would probably be Eddie Redmayne just because. I think the sort of start and end point is with Eddie Redmayne's character. And if there's somebody else that I had to pin as a leading actor, it would probably be still Sasha Baron Cohen. as Right. Okay. Let me me ask you real quick. Since you're the Oscar expert outside of acting, Mm. would you see this being nominated? This definitely gets a screenplay nomination. It probably gets a Best Picture nomination. Most likely gets a Best Director nomination for Sorkin. Um, Okay. Production design? Production design, yes. Most certainly even maybe costumes um, to an extent because of like the sort of hippie outfits and stuff that they have to do, which are... I would say fun. editing too, just because of that one oh, scene yeah. with the yeah, Bill the, the, character. Even at the beginning, the way that they sort of hand off the conversation. From yeah, the that, immediately. That, I love that scene. Yeah. Actually. That, it's like, and I've, I've heard Sorkin actually talk about that a little bit too, because like, there's this question that's like, you know, when you're writing something like that, and I've heard like hearkening it back to like Spike Lee's directorial style. And I've, I, I kind of definitely understand that. I think Aaron Sorkin might've even taken some inspiration from Spike Lee in the way that he did that. But like, it's like, you know, how do you write that sort of scene? And then how do you edit it together? It's very, very clever, clever. And it's a good intro to like get you uh, accustomed to who all these different characters are, their perspectives on things, and sort of bringing their ideologies together and understanding why they're all on the same side, although they might be approaching it from different perspectives. So, so do you think it's going to be like the similar to what happened with Irishman, where you get Pesci and Pacino in the same category? I, yeah, I think I think you have probably two supporting nominations. I don't know because it all just just depends how they campaign everybody who ends right. up where. I I think your lock from this is probably Rylance, and then if I had to pick like a second person that had the best chance of getting it, probably Redmayne. That those uh. would be like the two actors that I would say have the best chance, just because those guys have been there. They're Oscar darlings. They've won Oscars. They've been nominated for Oscars. I think that's probably if you want to put your money on somebody. Yeah, what's what's Sasha Baron Cohen's perception in the industry and. In the- academy i don't think it's very good especially like you know he's got borat 2 coming out in just a couple weeks here like how does that hurt it like because remember like back when uh eddie uh eddie murphy did uh dream girls and he was like the front runner for oscars for that and then norbit came out and people were oh like my oh my god no let's not give this guy the oscar because norbit kind of ruined his chances do you think borat might do something similar for for sasha baron cohen well, that's the thing because i haven't seen borat since i was like a teenager that's like a movie that made a huge imprint on me mm-hmm. and that's like a movie that i think about all the time in regards like comedy and like yeah made movies of all time but uh-huh. i can realize why it would be grating to a lot of people yeah i think like it's... i think like like stuffy oscar voters are probably like this is immature garbage i don't want to see this person naked well he history. doesn't portray somebody that's like a like a, like a like a like a like a pompous intellectual in this movie no not in this movie he's but they very like much, he, he's they very much his own to, they still related to yeah. out at the end of the day i think well, we have to. I guess we have to see how Borat turns out. Yeah, but I would, I, would lo- I would love to see Sasha Baron Cohen, Academy Award nominated on screen, whatever for whatever next, his next movie is. Trust me, I wanted to see that when Bohemian Rhapsody was in production. So the fact that he didn't get signed onto that, <laughs> and then the person that replaced him when it won the Oscar, that really pisses me off. Um, but the thing I wanted to point Wait, out. Wait, so you're you're a fan of him then, right? Oh, I he- love him. I love him. I think he's so good in this movie too. 
and we never talked about Borat. I don't know what your perception of Borat is. I, I also haven't seen Borat in a while, but like I've liked the work that he's been doing up to this point. Like even the stuff that he's like transitioning into drama, like the lead up and like who is America? Yeah, and I I just like him as a person. I think he's a funny individual, and I think that like you know the way that he sort of like bucks the established order i I sort of i enjoy his like comedy and stuff like that so to see him transition i always like it when comedic actors transition into dramatic roles i mean i've talked about my love of sandler's dramatic acting i talked about like how good i think seth rogan is and steve jobs like i love it when these guys go back and forth because it just shows that they have the talent to do these things just beyond making us laugh um so like anytime that happens i'm supporting it full on yeah, I mean, he even said it himself in the movie. He kind of portrays himself because, like, people say, like, you're not, he's not as dumb as you think he is. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't really be as an impactful comedian as you are mm-hmm. by making the movies as you do without, mm-hmm. without being an, an intelligent actor and an intelligent um, filmmaker, to say in a sense. No, I, I agree with that. And I hope that, he, like, you know, if he gets in the Oscar nominations, I think that would be awesome. I would love to see it. Like you said, Academy Award nominee, Sasha Baron Cohen. Like, it'd be weird, I think. <laughs> and another thing probably be the fact that Jeremy Strong should do way more comedy comedy because he's hilarious in this he's movie. so funny he's so fu- he's really funny in the gentleman too which i'm yeah, planning on re- i i he uh I, that was on sale for like 99 cents this week so i rented it i haven't rewatched it yet because i have like a month but i'll probably i might even end up talking about that next week i'll have rewatched it um the one thing i wanted to point out though the thing that i said bothered me i'm mm-hmm. not there's like you know minor spoiler uh, but like not really and this is based off true events um but the, the you know actually i guess it's not based off true events because the part about it that bothered me a little bit was not based off true events but i'll say this much like there's a part towards the end where eddie redmayne reads something oh god that's man. supposed Fucking to be, it. that's supposed to be like a rousing moment and that's not real not it true. felt like one of those moments and like i kind of wish it was true and like the fact that it's not true kind of makes it feel like sticky comedy to me and that really like sort of set the movie it like took the movie from like a five star to a four star for me like that's how much it sort of but four stars is still a it's still movie. good it's still good but i think i'm also a little bit easier on movies than you are so like a four star for me but it might be like a three and a half star for you um, i gave it four and a half okay but like you know we're we're on similar pages i think with this one but that that not you know it's not enough for me to go and say this movie's bad i think this movie is still great i think this movie is still really really good it's just that moment like really really hurt the movie for me when i went into the research immediately once the movie ended i went to go on netflix or like on amazon like i was trying to look for like the social um the social network part two i was like wait <laughs> did this movie come out yet has it has it been made uh-huh. like so immediately i had that high let me ask you then like how does this compare for other uh sorkin stuff like you know with social network with steve jobs even molly game like compare his directorial efforts like how does this sort of stack up Moneyball we talked about earlier i would say this is a better directorial effort compared to molly's game okay um i would say i would say it's near the top for script as well okay yeah i think it's definitely up there for script i i don't know i like molly's game a little bit better than this one but i, I need to rewatch. i need to revisit it because we we Maybe, saw it together in theaters and i haven't seen it since then yeah, because of the fact that I think this is just because this is a movie that's mostly contained in the courtroom. Yeah, yeah, it's a court court drama. We we obviously know that Sorkin kind of got his start with court dramas with A Few Good Men back in the day, and that was sort of his coming out party, and he's sort of bringing it full circle now with this one and directing after writing court dramas for a long time. Even if you look at like the West Wing writing political stuff, like now he's coming full circle and directing that. That's pretty cool to see. I'm looking his IMDb up right now to see if he has anything working. Okay. I don't. I wouldn't think so because of the fact that he just literally just finished 
mm-hmm. making a movie. And he's still doing, pro- I, I, one of the things for Middleburg, so Netflix is not doing any movies on the festival circuit this year, but they had one of their, their screenwriting award went to Sorkin this year. So one of the runners of the festival did like an hour long conversation with Sorkin. So I watched that on like Saturday morning and that was really insightful as well. And that's, that's sort of where I got some of the trivia that I knew about this movie in terms of the way that Sorkin approached it. Um, it was a great, any, any conversation. I, I love listening to Sorkin talk because you could ask him one question. He could go on for hours. It looks like Chris Nolan. A little bit. He does have a, especially in the hair. I think it's the yeah. hair. <laughs> I'm looking at his, so it, this is, there's a, there's a biopic called Lucy and Desi but it's about a the life and career of television producer television pioneer Lucille Ball. Okay. Writing. Oh wow. And he's, okay. And he's actually writing a, the a few good men TV movie. Right. I heard about the TV movie. I didn't know he was doing the Lucille Ball movie. That's pretty interesting. Actually. And he's uh, the only two director credits are Molly's Game and Charles Chicago. So he's he's still writing. He's just not directing. Yeah. I, I'm I'm excited for his directorial career. I'll say that much. Yeah. I mean, there's only two two movies in, and he he has all the backing. He could probably ask for within the industry because of his stature. Yeah, I agree. Um, any any closing thoughts here on Middleburg as a whole, or anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, I miss being there at Middleburg. I you know, obviously because of the fact that I, w- I would have watched more movies, but I mean, I'm glad I got a chance to watch these movies because of the fact that you know I'm not like we've talked about doing a tenant explain episode mm-hmm. we couldn't do it because we don't feel safe enough to go into theater <laughs> and watch it again yeah so sorry that we teased it in that one episode but yeah. you know couldn't do it but i mean i'm glad i got a chance to watch it you know i streamed it off my uh apple tv so i could watch it on my tv so that was a good experience at least yeah it was okay you know yeah it does suck not to be there but uh for the most part the virtual sort of side of it all went pretty smoothly oh yeah yeah um not not too many hiccups or anything like that on my part and uh saw some good stuff and that that's all that matters at the end of the day um that'll bring us to a close for this episode of talking movies thanks for joining us sam let people know where they can find you online you can find me on my Twitter at Sam Zero So and on my Instagram at Sam Osorio, O-S-O-R-I-O. You can find me at RodSud236. Um, as always, please be sure to check out our show notes for resources on Black Lives Matter, movies that you can watch in places that you can donate. Also, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends and family. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and all the other platforms. Uh, we'll be back in the middle of the week continuing our Halloween-related discussion. Uh, I think this week we're digging into The Exorcist, quote-unquote, the scariest movie of all time so uh come back and join us in the middle of the week to see if sam and i agree